You're listening to Halford and Bruff. In there, and that does it. History in the desert. The Texas Rangers, for the first time ever, are World Series champs. I want to run away and hide for a few days. I want to go camping and just sit in the tent and, and suck my thumb. Why I inherited this is, is beyond me. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Thursday. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Alfred and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer. Today we are in Hour 1 of the program. Hour 1 is brought to you by EverythingFinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at EverythingFinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, guest list today begins at 6.30. Ian Mendez from the Athletic in Ottawa is going to join us. Fairly eventful day for the Ottawa Senators <laughs> yesterday. Uh, they got their... We are your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Uh, Ian Mendez works for the Athletic in Ottawa, where he's a Sens beat writer. We'll talk to him about everything that happened yesterday. The chronology of it from our perspective, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but we got off the air. We got news that the Ottawa Senators were going to be punished by forfeiting a first-round draft pick for the botched Evgeny Dadanoff trade. Then we booked Ian. Then they fired Pierre Dorian. Mm -hmm. What a day. Yeah. What a whirlwind. Pierre, uh, sorry, Pierre. Ian Mendez is going to join us at 6.30. 7 o'clock, Adnan Burke, MLB Network. The Texas Rangers are your 2023 MLB World Series champions, and in doing so, have escaped baseball sad club. Congratulations to the Texas Rangers. You're out. The Padres, the Mariners, and the Brewers are on the clock now. That's it, eh? Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, the Rockies and the Rays are uh, the San Jose Sharks of Major League Baseball. Basically, they might get there, but you got to earn it. Speaking of the it. San Jose Sharks, good segue, Jason. 7.30, Curtis Pashelka, San Jose Sharks beat writer for the Bay Area News Group, is going to join uh, the program. He covers the worst team in hockey. There's no other way of looking at this other than the San Jose Sharks are abysmal. They have yet to win a game this year. Did I just jinx it? I don't know. We'll move along. 8 o'clock. Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver is going to join us on the program. We're also giving away Canucks tickets and Kiss tickets again. It went okay yesterday. <laughs> I felt like for some of you it was a challenge. Here's how it's going to work. Canucks tickets, Monday, November 6th against the Edmonton Oilers. Yes. Oh, those are big tickets. Those are huge. Yeah. You're going to Now, Kiss is two nights later. Wednesday, November 8th, also at Rogers Arena. If you want... The Canucks tickets. You put a ticket emoji into your what we learned. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you want the KISS tickets, you put a musical note into your what we learned. Dunbar Lumber text line. 650. 650. Everyone got it? Great. Working in reverse. 8 o'clock, it's Drancer. 730, Curtis Pashelka. 7 o'clock, 
Adnan Burke, 630 Ian Mendez. That's the show. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. We will begin with the aforementioned first time today, World Series. The Texas Rangers, in fairly muted fashion, took care of Arizona in five games to capture the 2023 World Series. 63-year franchise history, 50-plus in Texas, and they finally escaped the SAG club. So good on the Rangers. Yeah, it was a good t- uh, pitching battle yesterday, but uh, it didn't feel particularly dramatic just because the Texas Rangers had that 3-1 lead. Um, yeah, it was a disappointing World Series, let's be honest. The matchup uh, wasn't uh, too exciting or too enticing for the for the masses. I'm sure people in Texas are or at least in the Dallas area, are pretty excited about the result. Uh, I'm sure people in Arizona were happy to be there, uh, but it was a disappointing World Series. Texas gets out of the sad club for what it's worth, right? I mean, that was the main storyline for us. Uh, for us. No, but I think when, when it actually happened, it was like, for the first time ever, the Texas Rangers are World Series champs. Um, there were a couple other good stories, though, along the way. Uh, Bruce Bochy, the manager, uh, Corey Seager, who came over from L.A. that He was the MVP of the World Series with the Dodgers. He was the MVP of the World Series with the Texas Rangers. Uh, I don't really want to spend too much time on the story to be like, I know we're going to start with it just because it's the World Series winner and it feels like a big story. But I think there are bigger stories for our fans yesterday than the World Series. You mean like JT Miller speaking? Yeah. That was the other big takeaway from yesterday was JT Miller finally met with the media. I'm not going to lie. Okay. So yesterday, for those who missed it, JT Miller was supposed to be on our show at 730. We booked him in as a guest. And then everything on Halloween night transpired as it transpired. He got benched briefly, came back, scored a goal, didn't meet with reporters after the game. And then didn't come on the show with us. I kind of thought that that was going to be it. I was like, okay, you know what? It sucks. Wish we would he would have come on, but we kind of get why it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Whatever. The conversation really kind of lingered and continued. I guess some other media folk had complaints about it as well. So I was a little surprised to see the story still percolating. And then it ended with this punctuation point yesterday where he did meet with the media and he was pretty hot, I suppose, and I, that can be taken in a lot oh, of ways. He, was, he wasn't hot with the media. He was just he, he admitted <laughs> pretty that, hot in general. Like he, he admitted what w- we all saw, right? He, he, we all saw it. He lost his composure during the game. He was in me. I don't know in a bad mood or something. He lost his temper. He was running hot. Took some bad penalties, and Rick Tockett said, "Cool down on the bench." Um, so let's move on from that because, frankly, you know. I don't really want to talk too much about it unless it rears its ugly head again, right? Sure. Like unless 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 it's unless it's a unless it's something that comes up again and JT Miller is benched again. Um, what do I, you have to say about I, it? I thought the takeaway was what we went over yesterday that as long as this is about accountability and holding people's feet to the fire and having a higher bar, higher standard across the organization. Then I got nobody should have any problem with any of this. We have bemoaned 
the lack of professionalism, the lack of results, uh, the lack of meeting pressure with pressure, fire with fire, iron with iron, all that stuff. If this is a nod in that direction, then everyone should be on board with it. Like, I understand that people have jobs to do and people needed to talk to JT Miller after this blip mid-game, but the reality of it is, this is a good thing. Like, I am not usually the positivity beacon. Neither of us are, quite frankly. But I have been really impressed with the way that this team and this organization have conducted their business at the start of this season. I like I like a lot of what I've seen. I like the response from the Philadelphia game. I like the record. I like the fact that a bunch of other teams that they may be competing with for a playoff position are in the tank. It's a good thing right now. Let's go around the National Hockey League from last night. As I mentioned, several teams that would be in that aforementioned, there it is again, playoff positioning. Uh, the Calgary Flames lose again last night, six loss in a row. Ottinger, 43 saves. Uh, Jamie Ben goal and assist for Dallas. So it's a 4-3 win for Dallas over Calgary. It is getting to potentially panic time for the Flames. I know they had the report the other day after Eric Francis came on our show talking about how all contract talks and extensions have been put on hold. I'd be very curious to see how much longer this goes in Calgary and when they start making moves as opposed to just wringing their hands over a slow start to the season. You know, after the World Series was over, I flipped over to the Flames game and I'd been watching a, a little bit of it. Um, and it was, you know what, believe it or not, between Calgary and Dallas, I know the bar is low for entertainment, but it was a pretty entertaining game. Um, the Flames played better than I've seen them play in the last few games. But they still just, like, when they need a goal, they cannot get it. So they went into the third period. They were down 4-2, and they did score to their credit to make it 4-3. But then near the end of the game, you're just like, they're not scoring. Mm. There's no chance. And what I thought was really noteworthy was they had a 6-5. Six, six on five. They pulled the goalie. Obviously needed the goal. Mm-hmm. Guess who wasn't out there? Jonathan Huberto. I knew the answer. Jonathan Huberto. And he'd had a couple shifts um, right before, and the Flames had actually had a power play. And every time, for the most part, he got the puck, he looked like his hands were broken. <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, he could not make a play. Yeah, He was either just like, it was like bouncing off him or he was so easily checked off the puck. He just looked unsure of everything he was doing. And the head coach, Ryan Husko, obviously saw that. And he saw that the the young kid, Connor Zeri, who was making his NHL debut last night, deserved to be on the ice more than he did, Huberto did, mm-hmm. on the six, in, six on five. And that's the storyline out of Calgary. Like, this kid that was making his NHL debut made more of an impact and played better, like overall just played better than the 30-year-old on the massive contract. Yeah, so I dove into a little bit of Calgary Flames Twitter and checked out some of the hits that local media folks were doing. And there's two major storylines at play for Calgary right now. And one is what they're going to do with these anchor contracts that both Huberto and Nazem Kadri, who also has been incredibly underwhelming, we've talked about it a lot, what they're going to do with those two moving forward, if they can do anything with them moving forward, and then the notion that it's November 1st, they are 10 games into the season, and there's already major, major red flags about keeping this group together. Despite the fact that they went into this season with renewed optimism that a new coach and maybe even a new general manager 
and somehow minus Tyler Toffoli was going to right the ship here. Mm -hmm. The things that we said and the thing that I said in particular going into this season was, hey, I don't think that what happened last year under Daryl Sutter was a Daryl Sutter thing. I think what you saw was a lot of guys on the wrong side of 30 going into the decline. And there was three in particular, Kadri, Huberto, Markstrom. Markstrom's had an okay year. He's had a bounce back to a certain degree. But I think what you're seeing is you talked about Connor Zary stealing late game minutes <laughs> from Jonathan Huberto's. You're seeing a guy that's probably played his best hockey. And that's a scary prospect because his eight-year deal kicked in this season. He has to be able to be better than what I saw last night, though. Does he? Yeah, he does. Does he? There has to be something that they can do or he can do to play a little bit better. I don't know, Mel, but like overall, they're screwed. The Calgary Flames are screwed. And I and they have, you know, when the Canucks were screwed last last year, I remember when they're that. in that situation. There was at least that notion out there that well, they got Quinn Hughes, they got Elias Pettersson, right? And these guys are young players with very high potential, and and not only potential, like. They were playing well. Mm-hmm. You know, Pedersen had an incredible season, and so did Hughes from an individual standpoint. JT Miller had a good season at the end of the season. Like, he was producing at the very least, right? Mm-hmm. So they had this. What do the Flames have? Connor Zary. Yeah, they have Connor Zary. <laughs> yeah, they got Connor Zary and Dustin Wolf. They the, and they've the, got two really bad contracts that it would be immovable at this point, I would say. Like, the Flames, to me... Are I know a lot of people are comparing them to the Canucks last season in terms of their start. The Flames, to me, are the Canucks in 2015, right? When you realize, okay, whatever window they had, it is over. Now, the big thing that the Flames could do differently than the Canucks in 2015 is start selling off assets now. That's going to be the fascinating thing because I'm not sure a lot of people saw Calgary, at least when they made the moves they did this summer, as a bona fide seller either leading up to the deadline or earlier than that. But Conroy has a super difficult decision ahead, and he's kind of drawn a line in the sand by saying they're not going to have a Goudreau 2.0 situation. Be very Because, you know, if Calgary starts selling and they start positioning themselves for the future, that's one less team in the Pacific Division that you need to worry about competing for a playoff spot. Okay, talking about uh, frustrated fan bases, upset franchises, the Ottawa Senators. We've left the most dysfunctional for last here. So I'm going to go about this. Again, in chronological order. Shortly after we got off the air yesterday, the NHL announced that Ottawa is going to forfeit a first-round draft pick for their role in an earlier trade involving a Jenny Dadanoff. They sent him to Vegas, and then a year later, Vegas tried to send him to Anaheim. Now, the hang-up in all of this, and we had some people texting in, being like, what's exactly going on here? Essentially, former Sens GM Pierre Dorian did not tell Vegas that if Jenny Dadanoff had a no-trade clause, when they traded him. Vegas had no idea. Did they determine that was intentional? That they didn't tell him? They were classifying it as almost like gross malpractice. Right. Like, you maybe didn't do it intentionally, but you should have known better. Like, why'd you leave that scalpel inside of that guy? That kind mm. of malpractice, right? <laughs> right. And it's like, you, you got to know better than that. You can't just sew him back up. So, when Vegas, and I suppose to a lesser degree Anaheim, were rightly livid about their trade being nullified. They went back to the NHL and said, hey, you need to take a look at this. We're pissed off. Anaheim was trying to make a trade, and it couldn't. Vegas was left with this really weird situation where they traded again, and they're like, ah, 
on second thought, just come back and hang out for a little bit before we ultimately get rid of you again. Right. Very awkward. So, in a... And it makes the league look pretty amateur. So, that was the other thing, is that given the stiffness of the penalty, this is obviously something that doesn't happen often or ever. I don't know the shenanigans and backroom dealings of executives and how trade calls sound. But the basic crux of it was, when they were supposed to tell Vegas what was going on, they didn't. As such, Ottawa got dinged pretty heavily. So they were like, okay, this is going to be an interesting thing to monitor. I wonder what the future for Pierre Dorian has in store. It's like 29 minutes later, Pierre Dorian is fired. It was later classified as a mutual parting of ways, but he was shown the door in Ottawa. It sounds like they all went out to dinner. Uh, Ann Lauer and Pierre Dorian and Steve Stayhouse. And like over dinner, they, they determined like, Pierre, you got to step down. Mm-hmm. He's and, not going to need a dessert menu. Yeah. He doesn't need one. And Lauer was like, I was like, I'm trying to think of a penalty. And I think the penalty is you've lost your job. So that in itself was a pretty big development there. The, the penalty and then the subsequent firing. Then Michael Andlauer, who I'm going to be honest, I did not know a ton about. Didn't know about his personality. Didn't know what he was like. I don't remember learning a lot about him during the bidding process for the Senators, and then ultimately when he won it, he got up to the microphone, and he was spitting hot fire like a young Dylon. He was angry. He was pissed off, and he was uh, firing off in a lot of different directions. We've got about a minute of audio here. This is sort of like Ann Lauer's greatest hits or some of the better clips from yesterday. Uh, expressing his frustration with the Dadanoff situation, Pierre Dorian, the NHL's handling of the situation, and more. Here is Michael Anlauer, Sen's owner, after yesterday's wild day. Two disturbing phone calls from the NHL, uh, which has resulted in uh, a young prospect being suspended for 41 games. And today, the announcement of the loss of a first-round draft pick. I think a lot of fans are wondering why you should have to, this organization, have to pay for something that happened 18 months ago, not even on your watch. What would you say to that? I totally agree with you. I have, you that's, a, that's a question you have to ask the NHL, why it took a, a whole year since the hearing. Granted, it was a two-day hearing, 73-page reports. It's not something that's just slam dunk. Uh, I, you know, and the commissioner had a lot of time to deliberate on it and, and, and think about it. But why I inherited this is, is beyond me. I don't understand why it's taking so long, but I, maybe maybe because the, the, the club was for sale and they didn't want to disrupt, you know, so making sure the seller got the biggest price possible, I don't know. <laughs> At the end of the day, I'm not. That, 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 that is an interesting thing to throw around. Yeah. Like that, just that su- suggestion that the league was in cahoots with the sellers, the Melnick estate. Mm-hmm. Um to basically get the deal done. And you can imagine if like, if this was a house, they were like, don't tell them about the plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know it used to be a grow up? Yeah. Don't say that either. There was, there was some real, real red flags coming out of this. And look, like, I, I wonder, like there's some people out there that are like, is, is Michael Andler going to get fined for his comments? Can you imagine? Can you imagine um, if you get the, like the Pinto suspension and then you get the doc, the first round draft pick and then, oh, and by the way, for your comments about all that, you have also been fined. I feel like you the, lose your second round draft pick. I, now. I know. I know some people were doing that like tongue in cheek and other people were like, no, I'm serious. I, I think the NHL might just give him a pass here because he's got a bunch of valid points. Does he not? 
Yeah, I think he's probably a little bit upset with himself too that he didn't know about that um, because I think he was relying on the seller's information. Like they were saying, yeah, the the whole dad enough situation probably not a big deal, right? And and he was like, uh, well, it was a big deal because it cost us a first round draft pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he's a little upset that he didn't complete his due diligence, or maybe he should have gone directly to the league and asked them about this dad enough situation. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm maybe the league says, okay, I understand. If I bought a team and I had these things thrown at me right away, mm-hmm. um, but this is all part of what like he's going to have to do in Ottawa. Like they, we all know they didn't run a tight ship there. Yeah, we all know that they were not run like a serious franchise. Things kept on cropping up, like the number of things that have happened over the last whatever decade. And, you know, from not getting, you know, like they were trying to build a new arena and that would constantly fall apart because Melnick would like have a fight with the mayor or something like Mm -hmm. that. And then they had all sorts of, just people would come to the organization and then they'd leave the organization. It was just like, you could tell, you could tell that this was not a organization, a franchise that was run well. Mm -hmm. And I was joking around yesterday on Twitter. I was like, this is like the plot of the money, of the money pit, you know, like which people probably only know now from like the family guy clip, which is like, I love the money pit, right? After, yeah, yeah. But like the whole idea of the money pit was like, it was like, it was made back in the eighties. It was Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. They were trying to turn Shelley Long into a movie uh, star after like her cheers stardom. Don't forget about Joe Montaigne. and, And it was like this couple that bought this house and they thought they got this great deal on a house and, it turned out like there was like all these things that were wrong with the house. Like that's why it was called the money pit. Like I wonder how much stuff Michael Ann Lauer is going to discover. I'm not talking about like big stuff like Shane Pinto or big stuff like getting docked a first round draft pick, but like buying this business and being like, is this seriously how you guys operate this thing? Like, is this, are, is this, are we, is this real life right now? How you guys are running this, this team? So according to uh, Ian Mendez from the athletic in Ottawa, who's going to join us on the other side of the break here. Um, and Lauer did not know at all about the Shane Pinto situation. By the way, that was a hilarious footnote to yesterday. Everyone was like, also, yeah, the Shane Pinto thing. We should ask you about that. So he did not know about that during the, during the sale process. He did know about the Dadanoff situation, but according to multiple sources of Ian's, the potential penalty was minimized every time that either he or one of his representatives brought it up. So I think where you're getting all of this anger yesterday was how was this framed to me as an issue but not a big one? And then as he said, and we didn't have the clip unfortunately, but he's like, I would say losing a first-round pick is a pretty big deal. Like He's a hockey guy. He understands the significance of this, and I think more importantly, he understands where the Senators are in terms of reputation because this isn't just about all the dysfunction within. And Lauer made a point of saying, we pissed off two other NHL clubs and embarrass the league. And that's a problem because those are stains that aren't easily scrubbed away. And that's part of his job. Now as owner is to try and put a new coat of paint on it. It was other money pit. You got to put new appliances in, right? All the other money pit analogies here. This is what they've got to do is they have to rebuild um, an organization that's kind of in tatters. And if you thought that it was going to change the moment ownership took over, well, you're wrong because there was a lot that got inherited there. Okay. Uh, quick reset. We're going to go to break. We're going to come back. Ian Mendez from Ottawa is going to join us. A reminder to get your What We Learns in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. 
If you want Canucks tickets for November 6th against the Oilers, put a ticket emoji into your text. If you would like Kiss tickets to see Kiss on Wednesday, November 8th, both shows, and I'm calling the Canucks a show at Rogers Arena, uh, put a musical note emoji into your What We Learned, and you will be entered into the contest to win a pair of tickets. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Ian Mendez from The Athletic in Ottawa is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. Our booking of Ian Mendez for this show yesterday was one of the greatest bits of foresight in radio history. I don't want to overstate it, but we managed to book the man minutes before we learned that Pierre Dorian was dismissed as general manager in Ottawa. Kudos to Andy. Kudos to Greg. Joining us now, Ian Mendez from The Athletic in Ottawa here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Ian. How are you? Yeah, listen, I got the receipts in my uh, in my my inbox here, or I texting that. That was some unbelievable uh, prescient thinking from your producers. That uh, yeah, I mean, what a, what an unbelievable turn of events in Ottawa. I mean, re- yesterday, but the last ten days, this has been this has been quite quite a wild ride. You know, it's funny when Eugene Melnick was still with us and still owned the Ottawa Senators, uh, press conferences like this were kind of a usual thing or just like crazy stories out of Ottawa. It'd be like, another crazy story to do with the Senators. Like, I don't know, some players talking in the back of an Uber or whatever. Like, you forget all the things that happened uh, and have happened in the last decade. Um, is Michael Andlauer... Do you think like we were comparing we were comparing the senators to that old eighties movie, The Money Pit, where like Tom Hanks and Shelley Long <laughs> buy the house and it's like yeah. they're like, We got a great deal on it. Wait a minute, everything's wrong. Do you think he's going through this organization right now and being like, Are you serious? Is this how we were running things here for like years? Like this is crazy. Yeah, like and I'm sure anybody under, you know, thirty five or forty was like, What is the money pit? Uh, yeah, like, no one knows that. There's like a reference on the Family Guy, and that's like probably the only thing that they that's know. That's the yeah. As you know, I like it is interesting. Like, I don't think like people have asked me in the last couple of days, uh, you know, or, or last day or so, like, is there some buyer's regret, buyer's remorse from Michael Landlauer because, like you said, he bought something and then sort of as he enters the door and after he gets the keys, it's like, oh, guess what? The uh, the the kitchen needs a reno, and uh, you know, you've got mold and whatever. And I don't think he feels that way, but I do think he's super frustrated at the process that, that first of all, I think he always felt, and he, he kind of hinted at it yesterday, I think he kind of felt like in this entire process, everything around it was about driving up the price of the team. And whether that was celebrities being involved or different things being leaked, he kind of felt like, well, you know what, at the end of the day, I was willing to pay a certain price, but I felt like it kind of squeezed me, kind of squeezed me. And now 
you're squeezing me again in you're taking away a first round pick for something that happened 18 months ago, mm-hmm. well before I was on my, uh, you know, this was not on my watch. So I think what you saw from Ann Lauer yesterday was real passion, real uh, kind of a genuine unvarnished view of, of how he feels. And I just think he's super passionate. I, I, I think he feels like, why should I lose a first-round pick for something that happened 18 months ago that didn't even involve me? And I've fired the person now who was responsible for it. Mm-hmm. I think that's enough of a penalty. So um, did he ask Did he ask the senators, like, is this an issue when the, when the senators were st- – when he was trying to buy the senators? Uh, let's just call it like Melnick's estate. And did Melnick's estate say, yeah, it's not a big deal? And he, did he take them for their word? Or did he, like, follow up with the NHL? Because I, I'm wondering how much of this, you know, in some ways falls on him for a lack of due diligence. Well, the irony in all of this is, doesn't that sound exactly like Vegas and Ottawa with the trade? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you know... <laughs> yeah. uh, Trust me, it's not a big Wait a minute. Deal. Did you ask about the no trade or whatever? So, look, this is the way it was phrased by Michael Anlauer on Wednesday. He says that during the due diligence process, this whole Dadnov uh, penalty thing, it was brought to their attention. So it's not like he didn't know about it. But he was assured by the sellers this is a non-issue. And I think he meant... I think he interpreted that as, as like, okay, maybe there'll be a penalty and maybe there'll be a, a, you know, a fourth-round pick that's taken away from you or maybe there'll be $50,000 or you know, something that's, that's kind of minimal. And then I think last Tuesday what happened was Gary Bettman in the league contacted Michael Landlauer and said, here's our 73-page report, mm. on, like, which – I don't know how you get a 73-page report. I, mean, I guess you're double-spacing at that point, but 73-page <laughs> report on the Dadnov trade thing in which they make it very clear, unequivocally, no questions asked, Pierre Dorian and the Ottawa Senators intentionally misled Vegas, mm-hmm. causing them to then down the road uh, not be able to execute the trade with, with Anaheim, and we're taking a first-round pick from you. And so, I, look... Ann Lauer has never disputed the fact that Dorian you know, was in the wrong, organization was in the wrong. He's not disputing that. What he's disputing is that, like, you know, I wish you had told me. Not, and, and again, I don't know what that means. Does that mean, like, well, instead of paying $950 million, I'm going to pay, like, $945 million? I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. I think he just feels like, you know, I've been misled a little bit here. And I think he wanted to voice that frustration yesterday to uh, to a wider audience. So just a point of clarity here, um, what you just said about the report suggesting that they were intentionally misleading Vegas, the impression I got from listening yesterday was that it was more of like a gross malpractice. Like there might not have been the unsavory intent, but the results were still the same. But uh, you're kind of suggesting here that this was like well, Dorian essentially did this on purpose? Well, no, what I'm suggesting is Whatever Ottawa did, again, until you see the 73-page report, I mean, we're right. guessing. But right, right. Let, let's be honest here. If you're taking away a first-round pick, you're saying that that club intentionally deceived you, right? Are you not? Like, you're not, like, you're not, I guess what I'm saying is, like, whatever Ottawa tried to argue that there was mitigating circumstances, the league wasn't buying it. Right. The league is saying, you intentionally did this. Like, whether it was through negligence or whatever, but... You didn't do what you're supposed to do. 
and you made a couple of franchises look bad. By extension, you made us look bad. So, yeah, I mean, just to clarify, I think what the league is saying is that um, what you did was so bad right. that it, it, it was egregious enough that it rose to the level of stripping a first-round pick. Like, like, think about that, guys. The last time a team had a first-round pick strip was uh, Arizona for illegally working out um, players in um, – in you know the, the draft combine players that they weren't supposed to to be working out with like the league takes this stuff seriously they don't they don't uh, mess around with this stuff but but i do like the one thing i'll say is like a lot of ottawa fans where the frustration lies and i know it's an apples to oranges thing but there's a lot of angry ottawa fans who are saying you know you, you, you swung the hammer so hard on ottawa for something that happened 18 months ago in a trade that didn't even involve them with a franchise that subsequently won a Stanley Cup down the road and whatever, and you just turn the other way on some bigger issues, most notably being Chicago, I think that's what Ottawa fans and Ann Lauer, a lot of people are really upset with, is that, okay, you're going to say Ottawa was negligent or whatever here, but why hasn't some other more serious negligence been punished? And mm-hmm. I mean, again, I think it's apples and oranges. Like, there's different, different things, but, but clearly stripping a team of its first-round pick is a massive... Uh, you know, a massive penalty. How have the Senators started this season? Um, you know, it's weird. Like, I think, you know, I, I, I'm a football guy, like a football fan. And, like, you know, I'm, Bill Parcells used to always say, you are what your record says you are. So, you know, you, you can argue that, you know, we're 4-4 four and four and we should be 5-2 and two or 5-3. Or and whatever, five and, three. and I think the Ottawa Senators are what their record is. And I, they are a um, middle-of-the-pack team right now. They kind of... You know, I've had a couple of good games, a couple of bad games. Um, this is a curious month, though, for them, guys. Like, historically, under DJ Smith in the four previous seasons, like, this sort of second month of the season, November, has been their undoing. Like, they've absolutely uh, had catastrophic Novembers the last two years where they've imploded and they've submarined their playoff chances. So I'll say this. Like, the next – and they only play what's interesting. I know Vancouver, I think, comes here next week. Like – they only play, I think, it's nine games in November. And the reason why is they go to Sweden in the middle of the month. And because of it, the, the schedule is built in with like a week off before, a week off after. I got to tell you, this is a big month for this franchise. So they've gotten off to like what I would classify uh, as like a pedestrian start. But they're four and four and they're like, they, are, they, they probably deserve to be four and four. But they can't be, you know, after the next nine games, go four, four and one in the next nine games and kind of just be sitting at eight, eight and one. Like, I don't think that's going to be palatable here. Like they got to have a really good month in November uh, to kind of just, you know, secure the jobs of the head coaching staff and also kind of just prove that they're legitimately a playoff team in the Eastern conference. How has Corpus Allo been in goal? Because that was a pretty big bet that the ex general manager made. Oh, huge bet. I mean, like, and I don't think anybody had a problem with the price they paid in terms of dollar amount. Jonas Corpusella at $4 million, nobody's going to say, like, oh, you overpaid for Corpusella. It was the term that was eye-popping, right? Five years. Like, five years on any goalie that's not from your system and that you haven't developed or, or, or worked with, that's a huge risk and gamble. You don't often see goalies sign five-year deals to go elsewhere. So that part of it, um, it w- was certainly eye-popping. You know, he's been really good. His last, I think his last three appearances, the save percentage is like 940. So he's been really good the last three. But the first three, the save percentage was like 860. So it's, again, it's kind of just, he's been indicative of the team. Like he's a microcosm of the team where it's like, 
yeah, there's been some good and there's been some bad, and he's pretty much a 500 goalie with like a, you know, 900 whatever save percentage. Like he's just been okay. Um, I, I think there's room for him to be better, and they need him to be better. They need Anton Forsberg to be better if they want to, like I said, have a, a, a better record by the end of November. And did Steve Stales give DJ Smith a vote of confidence? And, you know, some people will, like, roll their eyes, like, oh, a vote of confidence for the head coach. That's always the worst thing for the head coach. But what, what, yeah. what did it sound like yesterday when uh, Steve Stales was talking about the head coach? Yeah, he did. And, and, you know, I think it's really important. So Steve Stales is the senator's president of hockey operations. And then now he's, like, taken the second hat and said, I'm going to be the interim general manager. And I don't think he wants to be – the general manager for an extended period of time, but he's happy to do it in the meantime. And I think what's going to happen here, if I'm, if I'm kind of reading the tea leaves is like Stales doesn't want, he, the one thing he said yesterday was, I want to instill some like stability here. And he went out of his way to say, I believe in the coaching staff. The players believe in the coaching staff. So let's, let's kind of surround them with, uh, with, with a chance to be successful. But, you know, I, I think, this is a huge month for the, for the Ottawa Senators and for DJ Smith. And so really the question is how quickly are you going to bring in a general manager? Because that's the person I think who will ultimately have a say on DJ Smith. Like I'd find it really hard to believe that Steve Stales would change out the head coach without having a general manager in place, because then it just becomes awkward. Then you bring in the general manager and he's like, well, that's not my guy. And already you're, you're kind of misaligned, right? So my, my, my guess would be you give DJ Smith some time to work, you look at the options for general manager, and then when that general manager is brought in, whether it's a month from now, six weeks from now, whatever, that's when you make the assessment on the head coach. And if, he's, if they're playing well, I think he's okay. If, he's, if they're not playing well, then I do, I do think it opens the door for the new guy to come in and say, okay, I'm bringing in my own head coach. Are you hearing the same rumors about Peter Chiarelli maybe being the general manager? There, there's a few rumors, like Pete, Pete Shirelli's one of them, uh, that's absolutely been kind of tossed around. Matthew Darsh, who uh, for uh, the better part of uh, you know the, the last few years has been kind of with Montreal, with Tampa, uh, he's kind of one of those uh, people when you, when you hear about uh, general manager openings, he ends up being like on the short list, and he's, he's been like the bridesmaid a few times, where I think in Montreal – Anaheim, I want to say Pittsburgh too. Like he's he's interviewed a bunch of places and he's done really well and he's just fallen short. And the reason why I, I kind of sneakily put Darsh into the mix ahead of maybe a Peter Shirelli is when Michael Anlauer was a co-owner of the Montreal Canadiens or a minority owner of the Canadiens, guys, he was part of the uh, search for a general manager. Like he was like actively part of the committee. He was interviewing candidates on behalf of management and Matthew Darsh, I think, interviewed really well. They ended up going, obviously, with Kent Hughes. But Matthew Darsh, I think, showed well in that interview. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's something that's stuck in the back of Ann Lauer's mind. So I'd love to circle. But, like, I would even go back and say, like, look and see who was interviewed for the Habs job in, when they gave it to Kent Hughes. And I wouldn't be shocked if some of those names resurfaced because Michael Ann Lauer was probably was impressed by some of those people during that process. Um, Ian, now that we can look back on the Pierre Dorian era, how is it going to ultimately be remembered and how much is the ending going to affect it? It, you know what? The ending is almost indicative or, or, or a great window into all of it, uh, which was, 
a little bit of chaos, a little bit of dysfunction, a little bit of weirdness, a little bit of a little, little bit of success, a little bit of failure, a little like it was as you know and and kind of like like it would be like if I asked you at the end of the betting era in Vancouver like summarize the betting era you'd be like okay we got to block off like 6 hours here right like like it yeah. was like there, there's a lot to unpack and there's a lot to unpack here with Durham there's some um, uh, unbelievable things like getting to me, getting Brady Kachuk and Tim Stutzla and Jake Sanderson and Thomas Shabbat and Josh Norris, whatever, sign the long-term team-friendly deals. Nobody's making over eight and a half. Those are huge wins in the salary cap era, and you've locked in the core. But at the same time, uh, you're also the general manager who, you know, and, and again, it was, I mean, it was their strategy at the time, but you jettison franchise players like Carlson, like Stone, like, you know, these are, and, it's the return on some of those trades, Stone in particular. Um, you know, Matthew, like he swung big on Matthew Shane. He swung big on Alex DeBrinket, and he struck out on those. And so, you know, there's, there's, again, it's a mixed bag. And I think as a fan, you probably love the fact that you have an aggressive general manager who, who takes a swing. But, you know, the hit rate was probably – 40 to 50% or whatever. So it's going to be interesting to just sort of take a deep breath and, and see kind of where it, where it all goes when, when you think about the Dorian era. But certainly his think like if this team has success in the next three to five years, his fingerprints are undoubtedly on this. Like you can't deny that. Uh, what you can question though is could this team or should this team be ahead of its curve because they've got a six-year playoff drought that uh, is one of the longest in the league, and they, they kind of said that by this point in time, they would be a, a competitive team. Uh, do you think now, moving forward, that this team is really going to lean into the us-against-the-world or Ottawa Senators versus everybody narrative? I know I was reading your piece on The Athletic, and there was a, a little snippet of what... Um, or sorry, it was uh, Elliot Friedman's 32 Thoughts, actually, that had that when Ryan Reynolds was involved in the process, that was going to be his marketing campaign, was it's Ottawa versus everybody. And it sure seems as though Michael Anlauer might have picked up a thing yeah, or two. Ottawa versus itself. Yeah, there's that, there's that part, but yeah. he, that's in the past now. And I do wonder if they're going to kind of relish this us against the world mentality because they've been so embattled and now they've got a new owner and that could be something he could lean into yeah well first of all I, i'll take it as a huge compliment that you even temporarily confuse my work for elliot they like, were the I'll two best as, pieces i read I, about the senators I will, yesterday yours and i will Elliot's. take that as a i will take that as a win uh, yeah you know what i think look when you like when you live in ottawa and you're a senators fan you are in between the two biggest hockey markets on the pla- in the planet, right, uh, in, in Montreal and Toronto. These are original six historical franchises. So we've always had in this market the little sibling kind of feeling to it, right? Like you're not the Habs, you're not the Leafs, you never will be, and yada, yada, yada. And I think we understand that. But I think Ann Lauer is going to be smart, and, and I think if you play into that a little bit, you can't go all, all in on it all the time, but – I think what the Ottawa fans appreciated is the owner acknowledging that he felt like the organization was hard done by. And, and a lot of people would say, boy, I don't know that they would do this to an original six team. Would they do this to somebody else? And I think that's what landed really well in this market. I think that's what Elliot was getting at in the beginning of his, you know, I think his first four or five thoughts were kind of on, on the situation in Ottawa. And I thought, and Elliot has a great read on it, I think he nailed it, is that Ann Lauer tapped into that, and I think his message landed really well in this market, and that's all Ann Lauer should care about. He shouldn't care about 
how people in Toronto or Montreal perceive him going on a podium and railing against the league. It's how people here perceive it. And I think his message, for the most part, landed really well in Ottawa. Ian, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. I swear one day we're going to get you on the show. We're going to talk about the Ottawa Senators, and the word dysfunction will not be mentioned for the entire hit. But oh, I'm, man. But, I'm, I'm hoping. Maybe next week. Maybe when the Canucks are here next week, maybe there'll be less dysfunction. We'll see. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it, bud. <laughs> Yeah, have a great day. Thanks for having me. You too. Thanks. That's uh, Ian Mendez from The Athletic in Ottawa here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The Senators have mirrored the Canucks in a lot of ways. Not everything. It's not a perfect comparison, but there have been times over the last few years when you know we wondered about the Canucks, like, who, what, what kind of operation are they running over there, right? And the Senators, that's like tenfold you wonder about it. And speaking of that Freach 32 Thoughts piece, Steve Steos had this line about, like, he was asked, like, what's your plan? He's like, my first priority is to install stability Mm -hmm. and confidence in the group. And stability is not something that you've associated with the Ottawa Senators, right? And there are some times when you just have to be like, all right, everyone, just calm down. (laughs) Like, we got to figure this out. And it's why I, I... I, I I bet they're going to find out more about the organization, whether or not it hurts them to the point of you know. But you know when you take and like even if you if you're not the if you're not the boss or or the owner of a company, you you join a company and from the outside you're like this is just a normal company, and then mm-hmm. you get into the company and you're like, what like is this how you guys run it? Like are you are you serious? And I think that's what's going to have to change in Ottawa. Like and and Lauer paid a lot of money, but he didn't pay a lot of money for the Senators brand. He just paid a lot of money for a franchise in the NHL, mm-hmm. right? And there were some good things about the franchise. They got some good young players, and those guys are locked up to, you know, if they pan out, they could be very good contracts. So there was that, and you and you buy you buy the market, right? You, you get a Canadian market. Uh, I know it's not the biggest market, but it's a Canadian market, so you know that everyone in the area, for the most part, likes hockey and is passionate about hockey. But the actual team, I bet there was very little brand value or operational value in what Ann Lauer paid. And if I were him and I'm negotiating, I'd be like, I'm not paying much for this brand because this is a brand that I actually have to rescue. Moving forward, it's going to be super curious to see how they conduct all of their business. Everything that the Senators do from here on in is really fascinating because you pointed out there's a sort of brand renewal that needs to happen. They almost need to. Well, they re- need to build a new arena too. They, they need to build a new arena. They need to reposition themselves in terms of what they're viewed as as an NHL franchise. The reason I asked Ian that at the end was because it does seem as though they're <laughs> Ann Lauer, whether it was intentional or not, was definitely leaning into the "Hey, it's us against everybody else. It's the big bad monolith that is the NHL." Taking you know, it's a very very serious punishment out on quite frankly, a whipping boy franchise. Mm-hmm. It's easy to kick the Ottawa Senators because the Ottawa Senators have been down for a long time. Yeah, and and, and Melnick caused a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, Melnick's big issue was maintaining relationships, right? Uh, relationships with a guy like Daniel Alfredson. That would be the one that most of the fans think about, but also relationships with his employees 
you know, guys would come and go and they'd be like, I don't want to be part of this anymore. Relationships, this is a big one in terms of getting a new arena. You have to have good relationships with politicians. So to get an arena built in Ottawa, he's going to have relationships, you know, if they do this arena on the Breton Flats with federal politicians, but also, uh, you know, uh, city politicians to, to get it done. And Melnick would... I mean, it was kind of typical, right? Like it was just his type of personality. He probably had the ability to, you know, uh, create a relationship, but he couldn't maintain the relationship, right? Because the, he was so volatile, and that's what and that's what that's what this the, the senator's franchise has to get past, right? You have to not only create the relationship, you have to maintain the relationship. It can't go sour. Do you, we all know people that? Like they can't keep relationships or they can't keep friends. And it's always like mm-hmm. a massive red flag when you're kind of like, wait a minute, are you an adult and you're having fights with your friends? Like mm-hmm. w- w- what is going on here? You are a serial dater for a reason. Yeah. But, or, but just people even that can like, like they're actual, like, you know, you know, guys that can't maintain a, like a male relationship, mm-hmm. you know, you're just like, w- what is going on with you? And that, and that's that there's always like a trail of broken relationships. And that's what Michael Andler has to fit because Eugene Melnick was that guy. He's like, we're friends today. We're not friends now. Uh, coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, 7 o'clock hour, Adnan Verk is going to join us to talk about the Texas Rangers winning the World Series. Yesterday, Curtis Pichelka from the Bay Area News Group, San Jose Sharks beat writer, is going to join us at 7.30. We'll do a lot of Canucks talk in the 7 o'clock hour as we prep for tonight's game. It is the Canucks and the San Jose Sharks from San Jose. You can hear it all right here, hopefully, on Sportsnet 650. This is your home of the Canucks. This is the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.